Welcome to the Not Work Storytelling Podcast. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a word witch, a writing coach, a story healer, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, a woman's way to freedom, power, love, and magic. Mythology and folklore are medicine for the modern soul. Let's hear today's story and explore why it still matters. Before we dive into this week's episode, I'd like to tell you about Storyweaver Book Coaching. This is support for memoirists, thought leaders, and creative entrepreneurs at the beginning of their writing journey. You've got stories to tell. You feel like you've got a book inside of you. Before you can weave your visions into the chapters and birth this book into the world, you've got a lot of untangling and imagining to do. And that's where I come in. I can help you explore your personal experiences, get clear on your big ideas, and get clarity on what makes your book unique and compelling. I'm here as a sounding board and a thought partner. I'll ask tough questions and also give you a safe space to land. When it's time to start putting words on the page, I can be your trusted first set of eyes, and we can begin to craft your manuscript together. Learn more over at my website, marisagowdy.com. Let's talk and see if Storyweaver Book Coaching might be just what you're looking for. Season 2, Episode 11, Walking in the Footsteps of a Legend, a personal story by Christian Bolden. Hailing from New Orleans, Louisiana, our guest, Christian Bolden, now resides in Washington, D.C. due to the catastrophic events of Hurricane Katrina. Christian is an inaugural board member of the African-American Irish Diaspora Network, AAIDN, with a mission dedicated to fostering relationships between African-Americans and Ireland through shared heritage and culture. You'll hear a lot more about the organization during our conversation. The AAIDN is just one aspect of Christian's community-building work. He's also been part of the Steel Sharpens Steel Summit, a panel discussion committed to the enlightenment and enrichment of the urban African-American male teen. He organized the Renew Orleans event, which commemorated the five-year Hurricane Katrina anniversary and raised funding and awareness for the Gulf Coast oil spill relief effort. A former professional staff member in the U.S. House of Representatives, Bolden is now principal at the Bolden Group, where he offers IT, program, and project management, as well as DEI services. I am so excited to have Christian here with us today on the podcast. Here we are nearly at the end of season two, and you've grown accustomed to the Knotwork storytelling format, which is a story from mythology or folklore, followed by a conversation about why it still matters. Well, this time we're going to mix it up a little bit, and Christian's going to share his own story of going to Ireland for the first time. And afterwards, we will follow it up with a conversation that I'm sure is going to be broad reaching. So Christian, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Please tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. So my story talks about my personal experience with going to Ireland. I think it should be noted that you and I met in New York at the Irish Echo event just a few weeks ago. And I think that was, this story is kind of born out of you and I sharing 
with one another, right? So I had spent time as a graduate student at Syracuse University in Ireland, namely Dublin and Cork. And it was fantastic. I really appreciated the cultural contrast, certainly between my experiences here in the United States as a native New Orleanian and having spent time in Dublin as well, right? Distinction in the dialect, distinction in their, their, their social outlook, their perspective, their, their culture there. And I was actually, it's my first time in Europe. So my first European trip, which was significant for me. And I was blown away by the welcome, by the embrace. And I think there were, and for that, I am forever indebted to, to, to Ireland, right? The role that they played in my personal kind of growth and certainly exploration and exposure was particularly significant at a very formidable time in my life. And I really appreciated that. I went to Ireland with really no expectations, which I think is how you should go to into any country, right? Not really. I intentionally did not look anything up. I intentionally did not do any research. I just wanted to kind of land and explore um, in the country. And I think there were kind of three things, at least stateside, that were really happening that had global significance or international significance that I, I hadn't anticipated being influential in my reception and or the ability to kind of kind of start a conversation in this foreign country, right? I think the first one was one of the significant kind of, I guess, world events that was happening was the idea, at least at that time, that the United States might elect Donald Trump as its president. And it, I think what was interesting there was, never mind your politics for a second, I think people across the globe were finding it interesting that we would elect in their mind someone who was little more than a TV star. So for many of them, their introduction to Donald Trump was through The Apprentice, the show on NBC. They didn't really have a sense of his background, have a pulse on his accomplishments and just kind of the role he played in the American consciousness, which was kind of being famous for being famous. And in large part, as far as I was concerned, he was a real life monopoly man. You know what I mean? In terms of his disposition and the caricature that he played. And so for them, they were just kind of like, it's that guy from the TV show. You guys are going to make this man president. So that was, that was the impetus for a lot of the dialogue that I had. I think there was another social component that was significant to the Irish with respect to my being an African-American male in the United States. And it was, that was a summer where we were dealing with Alton Sterling and Bad Rouge and, and dealing with the slaying of unarmed African-American men at the hands of the police here in the United States. And they were really wondering how an African-American male, you know, was kind of coping with that and confronting that both socially, psychologically, and what that kind of meant for my life personally, but the lives of many African-Americans across the United States. So having those conversations was really interesting. And it should be noted for those of you that are listening that have never been to Ireland in particular, they don't have guns in Ireland. This is probably the most succinct way to say it, right? And that also includes their police officers and the armed forces there. They don't carry guns at all. So th that fundamentally was a little bit jarring for them, but to see that the people who were kind of there to protect or here in the United States to protect the citizens were actually raining terror on the citizens was, was difficult for them to, to grapple with. And so they wanted to have conversations around that. And then, of course, just you know, a few months prior, maybe a year prior, Muhammad Ali had passed. And for a generation 
and generations following, of course, he was a significant hero. And, you know, he was my dad's hero, my grandfather's hero. Obviously, I'm a little bit younger than that generation, but I'm certainly aware of who he is and, and his sacrifices, personal, that he made in giving up a large portion of his career at the height of his career to make a stand against the Vietnam War and being asked to go to war, right? So he was a hero, but I maybe was, I was certainly overwhelmed with his reach. Having gone to a European country, and so many people wanted to talk to an African-American male in the United States about an African-American male hero of theirs, right? And what he meant for their lives personally. I remember in particular, it was a gentleman who hadn't seen his nephew in 20 years. And I'd gone into this restaurant and I just kind of leaned over and was asking about the menu and did he enjoy his meal? He certainly picked up on my accent or lack thereof, right? And identified with me not being a, a native you know, Irishman. And certainly he really wanted to get into the discussion and say, you know, it really devastated me that Muhammad Ali had passed and what that meant for him personally, that what Muhammad Ali had done and what that meant for him. Again, visiting his nephew in, in Dublin, hadn't seen his nephew in 20 years. They were closing out their tab. I'm just sitting down to eat. He actually stayed with me through my meal and let his, his wife and his nephew go on just so he could talk about Muhammad Ali. And he talked to me for about an hour and a half. And it just, the, on and on, I was having these experiences as I traveled the country and the empathy that they had for the experience, for my personal experience, but also the embrace. And, and I was there again for school. So coming with an open mind and open heart and spending time there was really meaningful for me. And it paralleled in many ways to the experience that Frederick Douglass had, who had traveled to Ireland in 1845 as an abolitionist. And he was there to give speeches. He really found the, the, the Irish community to be empathetic there. And he thought he was going to be there for a week, stayed for several months, gave over some nearly 50 speeches, right? He was there for just, for again, just a few days. And he'd met the great Daniel O'Connell, who was mayor of Dublin during that time, but championed him locally. And there's a, this, there's a, um, a significant moment where Daniel O'Connell kind of offers his coat to Frederick Douglass. And, and for De Frederick Douglass, he, he said that he, he found himself there, that he was overwhelmed with the generosity and the warmth that he experienced at the Irishmen and women of the Irish community while in Ireland. And I think for him, I certainly don't want to suggest that I am in any way on a level of, of a Frederick Douglass, right? But I think where our experiences paralleled was going to a country where the experience that we had was completely unanticipated and couldn't have been predicted. And to, to go there and have those experience, I think for him, and he wrote about it and, and, and definitely um, belabored the point, even when he returned to the United States about his trip in Ireland and what that meant for his life. And similarly for me, what that meant for my life and how it changed me can't be understated. Oh, Christian, I love that you ended us with that point around Frederick Douglass and just that sense of what it was like to walk in the footsteps of a legend. Because yeah, that's yeah. really so much of why we look back to history or mythology or folklore. It's because there are these parallels and it's not out of hubris to say, oh, I'm just like them. It's to say, 
there's those human threads and it makes our own stories make so much more sense when we yeah. can see ourselves against that backdrop. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point on Frederick Douglass, he thought there would be empathy there when he visited Ireland as you were looking for your own kind of social and political independence, right? And Ireland's history in some respects really mirrored kind of the experience that he was having with seeking out his own independence in terms of the African-American experience here in the United States during that time, right? Coming, coming post-slavery. And so, and again, I do not want to suggest that I'm in on, on Frederick Douglass's level on any sort of level, but I think what's important to note is that we each still fundamentally as humans see kinship, right? And see, seek connection and seek validation. And we often view ourselves or get a sense of ourselves through the prism and through the lenses of how other people view us. And no matter how comfortable we are in our own skin and no matter how secure we are, we still kind of take a pulse on how other people feel about us and its influences on our on ourselves, whether that's through personal securities and certainly identification, right? And so self-identification. And that for me was was very important. I come from a city in New Orleans that again is culturally unique from any other major city in the United States, right? We have our own food, we have our own lingo, we have our own music, we have our own dance, we have our own pulse, all of these things that really offer distinction. And I really identify when I go to other countries, I really identify with them and when they have their own thing, right? And so how do we find connection in that? And I think that is the human condition is that while there are so many differences, we're alike in in any number of ways. Absolutely. And I think there's certainly this history in white America in particular about making parallels between the Irish experience and the African enslaved people's experience, which is deeply problematic at certain levels and yet also can offer opportunities for good discussion, for going deeper, for saying, yes, there are threads here that are similar, but let's also be really aware of the vast differences. So I just sort of appreciate in your saying, yes, there's this kinship with Frederick Douglass and this, of course, deep distinction between your tales and and your experiences. I just think that's one more helpful way of saying, yes, how can we bring these two, any two situations into conversation with each other and still allow them to, these are the distinctions and why, you know, it's not okay for the Irish to continue that old myth in a bad way, if you know what I mean? Because there's great, I love good mythology and bad myths Mm -hmm. need to be dispelled. Yeah, absolutely. And then to that point, I think when you're having conversations and you have an open mind and open spirit and are interested and are curious, right? And I think if you bring those spirits to the table, I think it really creates a recipe for a spirited dialogue around those differences, some of those pain points, right? But identification of those similarities and then an opportunity for growth. And that was, again, my experience there, certainly Frederick Douglass' experience there. And that stays with me and really informed is in, or is instrumental in informing my outlook as I kind of became a, a young adult and coming from Washington, D.C., which is where I'm based, where the politics has really gotten particularly tumultuous over the past decade, mm-hmm. still finding commonalities with people in different communities of different races, of different creeds, of different religions, different faiths. 
I think that is supposed to be or fun, it's fundamental to the American spirit, right? So to find that abroad and be able to bring that back and share that with my community has been has been tremendous. For me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that idea of curiosity in your story, it really sounds like actually this it made me curious as you were telling this. Did you feel like people in Dublin and across Ireland would ask you questions in a different way as white Irish people asking a black person from America? Would they ask questions really differently than you would receive from white folks in other parts of America? Yes, yes. So it should be noted that in Ireland, right, just from in terms of my appearance, I stick out like a sore thumb. There aren't a significant number of people of color in Ireland to begin with. I'm six six foot three, 205 pounds, which um, I was one of the taller people as soon as I got off the plane and started to walk around. I was one of the taller people in the country. So I think that invited some curiosity and invited some dialogue organically. Then once I kind of opened my mouth and they got a sense of my accent, and they realized I was from the United States, it bore out even more. And what I tried to just be was was just open. Right. It was just open. I had questions. Right. You know, I got exposed to the Gaelic games, for instance, in in Ireland and how that kind of contrasts to American football culturally what sport means. I remember being there and there was a what we call soccer. Right. There was a soccer match that was there. The streets were completely empty. It was almost as if the Super Bowl were playing in the United States. So I had curiosities and wanted to understand how the country particularly coming out of the Celtic Tiger, for instance, which was their economic renaissance uh, a couple of decades ago, how that influenced the country socially, civically, how that influenced the country economically. So I had questions as well. And I think for all parties involved, it really became a learning experience. The questions that I were asked in some ways were comparable and in other ways were distinct. But I think that's what it is all about, right, is my expectation and of someone in Europe shouldn't be that of someone in America. And I think that's what they brought to the table too, is I think also there were a lot of world events that were happening as well. The Syrian refugee crisis was influential, I think, in the outlook of the Irish. There were were just any number of things. There was a a repudiation of globalization at the time, which I think bore out in some of the politics, some of the elections. And there were any number of events that were going on. And so, here I am in this country, this unlikely figure or unlikely individual as far as they were concerned. And I thought they really took advantage of the opportunity to chat. And the questions were interesting and in some ways challenged me and in some ways made me think. And that's really all I can ask for, right, is for critical thought is like the the ultimate outcome for me. And then I went back and as I'm on the plane ride back, I was journaling and, and really starting to collect my thoughts. And it made me a more, I think the experience in Ireland, again, made me a more well-rounded, more comprehensive version of, of Christian. Right. So that, yeah, that was, that was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so previous to going on this trip, I can't imagine you would have ended up becoming a board member on the African-American Irish diaspora network. That must No, have, was- not at all. And so <laughs> I was, I was introduced to Dennis Brownlee, who was our founder. I was introduced to him the late Norman Houston, who was the de facto kind of ambassador to the United States on the part of Ireland, right, or Northern Ireland, at least. And so the culmination of a series of events kind of led to that meeting, that choice meeting. But I think for me, and where 
Dennis and I really met in the middle was we both had, again, kind of a similar experience with going to Ireland, the embrace, the warmth, the generosity, the curiosity, all of these things. And he and I kind of shared a similar experience there. So it really made a lot of sense. I'd studied there for school. The relationship just seemed, at least on its face, seemed seamless. And then as we begin to dig and uncover, there were more and more things that we had in common that we thought we could bring to the table to really support the mission of the African-American Irish Diaspora Network, which is, of course, to connect the African-American and Irish communities. Little known fact, some 38% of African-Americans in the United States actually have Irish heritage. So the lineage is there, the connection is there, the foundation is there. It really just needs to be illuminated and explored. And that's that's part of our mission, of course, or core to our mission, rather. And we're really excited about the path forward. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about the organization and what you're working on? Yeah, so the African-American Irish Diaspora Network, we're actually based in Washington, D.C., with the mission, again, of connecting the African-American and Irish communities. We do that through three chief areas, social justice and civil rights, entrepreneurship, and arts and culture. One of the, our, the chief initiatives that we've actually had in Ireland is the Frederick Douglass Way, which it's the path that Frederick Douglass took as he traveled through Ireland. It's actually been not only acknowledged, but formally indoctrinated and, and embraced and inaugurated in Ireland. So we're really excited about that. But here we, through those three core, core areas, we're looking to make significant strides in connecting the communities and we continue to do so. And we're really excited about the embrace from both the African-American community and the Irish community. There seems to be a, a not just a, a hunger for more information about the connection between the two communities, but we've been a conduit for engagement. And that's what we're really excited about. And the love that we've received has been just absolutely tremendous. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was so palpable at the Irish Echo event where you and I mm -hmm. met in mm -hmm. August of this year was, you know, and it was the first time I'd been to that organization's kind of meeting. And there was definitely that sense of how do we bring more diversity, awareness of, a, of diversity, and expand the story and our understanding of the story as Irish Americans to realize it's not just the old tales that might be about shamrocks and corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, no doubt about it. And I think diversity, one of the things we've really tried to, to promote is not just diversity demographically, but diversity in experience and diversity in idea, which I think, again, makes more for a more comprehensive version of the Irish experience. And that's what we've really tried to incorporate, not just into our messaging, but into our programming. And I think that's led to the engagement that we've had to this point, which has mm -hmm. been significant. And there are Black Irish or Blyrish, if you will, all across the United States right. who have been looking for just a, this sort of environment and this sort of, sort of organization to, again, really illuminate not just... That our presence in the Irish community as African Americans or or Blacks in the, in America, but to really kind of connect or draw connections to Irish identity and Black identity, and that they're not necessarily distinct; that they're one and the same. In that there's that lineage there, there's that that heritage that actually exists. We've really tried to make it a mission to bring that to the fore. And to this point, we've been successful. We continue to evolve and take on new initiatives. But certainly, 
we have an intake valve, right? And it's open to learning more and taking on new ideas and incorporating that into what we do. And so, yeah, we're learning and we hope to, to educate others who are interested. So we're excited. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me think of that news that came out in 2020 when archaeologists and geneticists discovered, or at least conjectured, that the Irish of 10,000 years ago had black skin and blue eyes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, You've seen that mm-hmm. news. I mean, it, it came across as a kind of a cool news blip here yeah. and there. But when you start really sitting with that information, how does and does it not change our perspective on things? Well, I think it's significant in terms of our perspective because what it does is it broadens the discussion, right? And it says there's more there. And getting back to kind of to that theme of curiosity, I think for me is, gosh, how did that happen? How did that history get lost? And then what can we do to really take that information and elevate it and and really broaden it out even more so? And the shared connections are, again, are there. We talk about, for instance, the some of the, the, uh, the instrumentation that's, that I think the, the Irish identify with, the fiddle, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And drums and different things. These are, these instruments have African roots. And so, you know, over and over again, you go down the line and you're seeing, you're seeing these different components of Irish life that have connections to Africa or African-Americans here in the United States. And it's a wonder we didn't start having these conversations sooner. And so, yeah, no, there's no time like the present. And we're really indulging in this, this growth and exploration between and, and dialogue between the two. Yeah. Did you ever come across that podcast series by Bonnie Greer from the British Museum called In Search of Black History? I had not. Talk to me about it. It's on Audible. So it's one of those, like, if you subscribe, you get it. But mm-hmm. she's a British American, has been mm-hmm. at the, with the British Museum, and I wish I had her bio in front of me. Immensely mm-hmm. accomplished woman across across London. But she did such a masterful job of talking about Black people throughout, I mean, she went back millennia, but I specifically, she was talking about how in Henry VIII's court, there was a Mm -hmm. Black trumpeter who's actually Mm -hmm. in the art. And what's his name? I actually looked him up because I was thinking of him before our conversation, John Blank. And to the fact that they have his name from, so what's that? The 16th century. And knowing that he would have come in order to be a musician. So Mm -hmm. in those senses of, you know, of course, Irish history, English history have their own interesting bifurcations and divisions, but of course, just drawing from all that she offered in terms of what it was like for Black people to be coming to Northern Europe when it would have been this, and to use your word, sticking out like a sore thumb, you know, four or five centuries earlier. Yeah. And it was such a just a remarkable set of new and ancient knowledge that she was offering forth that just made me think a lot about our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And Again, you're talking about the 16th century. So, you know, centuries and centuries of history where we're led to believe that through the advent of the internet, that our worlds have become increasingly connected and which they have, right? But there was connective tissue across communities, local, foreign, and international since the beginning of time. And as you dig further and further and deeper and deeper into history, you're realizing that we're probably more connected than we ever realized. And now that we're here, what can we do to continue these deep connections, these deep conversations? And as I mentioned before, developing kinship 
and relationships with one another that are transcendent. And I think that that end up telling, the, standing the test of time and telling the story of time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Christian, I'm so grateful that you've come on the show and taken us on this journey with you. When you and I spoke first, you told me that that conversation in Dublin was in Temple Bar, right? Yes, absolutely. Which, you know, it's interesting when you go to other countries and you're like, you're at a bar, right? And you're like, this bar is older than the United States. It's, yes. Right? We, we're such a young country and that's really become significant when you go other places and where the United States is in its own history, its own journey and how we got here and what we mean. And so many people just want to talk about what it means to be an American. And I'm excited to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we learn so much about that conversation when we have it with people from other countries. Yeah, absolutely. My experience in Dublin when I was in graduate school was in the wake of 9-11. I, mean, mm, I was supposed mm. to fly out of Boston on September yeah. 11th, 2001. Sure. And... That flight didn't happen, obviously, but I yeah. think I was one of the very first flights out of the States, mm -hmm. maybe eight days later. But landing in Dublin and having a conversation with non-Americans about what had happened and yeah, discussing what's going on. the why, yeah. it was really raw. There was a lot of time spent, uh, to be candid, with other Americans on my program, like mm -hmm. crying in the ladies' room because sure. the conversation was still too rough in terms yeah. of... No, we're not ready to analyze this from what the U.S. did to perhaps deserve it. Because I think that yeah. was a lot of the tone yeah. at the time. There was a lot of anger and that same level of and So American many unknowns, right? So many unknowns right? and people yeah. asking you questions and you're just ill-prepared because you're like, I don't know. And you hate to say know. that, I don't know, but you right. don't know. Right, right. And when it's too rich, it's too much in those the state of mourning. You're not yeah. ready to articulate. And at that point, you know, I was... 21 years old and just mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. eyes wide open. Sure. But it just reminds me of the conversations you can have in Temple Bar as an American across yeah, time. Absolutely. I think no. have always been wild. It's a great place. It's a great place to visit. It's it's one of the I want to say it's 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 certainly the mo one of the most significant bars in Dublin, but it may be if it's not the oldest, it's one of the oldest bars in Dublin, right? One of them, what's the other one? Oh, it's one of those. It's not the, it's not the King's Head or the Boar's the Stag's Head. Yeah. I forget yeah. which one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I lived across from Christ Church, about a sure. mile from Temple mm -hmm. Bar when I was mm -hmm. living mm -hmm. there. So. so you frequent there quite a bit, sounds. Well, I was a pretty broke graduate student as uh -huh. it goes. So there was a lot of yeah. tea sipped with my German <laughs> flatmate. But yep. uh, when we could afford it, you know, we'd make it out. But there was a lot of uh, Dutch gold beer drunk mm -hmm. while watching a very tiny TV when the yeah. World Cup was on. So yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly, certainly. But yeah. Well, Christian, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story and helping to draw all these connections. I love how the word kinship has really woven through this conversation. No, thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about where to find you and your work and the organization? Yeah. So uh, www.adennet.org, that's A-A-I-D-N-E-T.org, uh, is where you can find the African-American Irish Diaspora Network. Of course, you can find me on LinkedIn, Christian Bolden. I am also on Instagram, Chris V.S. Christian, right? And I can be found on Twitter at Christian Bolden as well. So thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to be here and I look forward. We got to do this again. 
Let's do it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Not Work Storytelling. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform and do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. You can find out more about my writing, my book, my courses, and how to work with me as a coach, as well as my online community, The Heroine's Knot, at marisagowdy.com. Follow the show on Instagram, at Knotwork Podcast, and join our listeners group on Facebook. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people. Remember, ancient stories are medicine for our modern maladies, and your stories can help heal the past, anchor us into the present, and create a more beautiful, sustainable future.